Hello, I'm Frankie Cotton and you're listening to What Does Green Really Mean? A brand new podcast series that dives into what sustainability really means to separate fact from fiction and uncover the stories of those who are building our future. This week, meet Ashling Byrne, founder of New, the clothes swapping app that makes fashion unlimited, sustainable and affordable. By swapping clothes on the app like you would with a friend, you have access to the wardrobe of the whole country. You can try new outfits as often as you like without contributing to landfill and minimising your carbon footprint. Ashling's journey to build new began with a trip to India in 2013, shortly after the Rana Plaza disaster in Bangladesh, where 1,132 people were killed in a building collapse that housed five garment factories. She saw the dark side of an industry that she loved firsthand and has since worked to change it. I loved talking to Ashling for this episode, and I'm sure that you will love her too. She says, you can't guilt people into making change. You have to provide the solution. I hope you enjoy listening. You can join us on Twitter at Green Really Mean. And if you love listening to us, please rate, review and subscribe wherever you're listening. Thanks so much. Ashling, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Delighted to be here. Oh, we're absolutely delighted to have you. Um, And I wonder, could could you maybe start and kind of set the scene by telling us a little bit about New? What is it that you guys do? Absolutely. So New is a app to swap pre-loved fashion. So really our mission is to ensure that every piece of clothing that's sold, particularly on the high street, has the opportunity to have another life. So it's all about taking the clothes that we're not wearing and loving out of our wardrobes and passing them on to someone who will wear them. And really the, the premise came from we have these wardrobes full of clothes as an individual we can't necessarily give them the full extent of their life cycle but as a collective we can and so new is really based around coming together as a community sharing the resources we already have enjoying everything that fashion has to offer without having to kind of buy into this buy wear dispose culture the whole time so a really lovely way to make sure that your clothes are used and loved for their whole life and reduce the environmental impact of fashion as a consequence awesome and i wonder if maybe you could sort of start by telling us where this all started and where it all came from. So my understanding is that you were volunteering in India. I think it was about yeah. eight years ago. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if you could maybe talk a bit about sort of the culture then, because it was very different, right? Not not just the culture in India, but I mean generally kind of globally around fast fashion and Absolutely. sustainability and, and what you saw and experienced at that time that planted that seed. Yeah. I mean, to describe myself before I spent time in India, that was in 2013, I loved fast fashion I did not know about fast fashion it was just fashion to me it wasn't this kind of concept of wow these brands produce clothes really quickly they sell a lot they change trends all the time I need to keep up with this I was just enjoying cheap fashion and everything that it had to offer and I really did love fashion from a design perspective and so I had really thought about going on and doing design I actually went and studied music I was just kind of into that whole creative space And for me, I just never really considered what happens in the fashion industry before items get to the shop floor, kind of outside of the design process, and then especially after they leave your wardrobe. So for me, um, I guess kind of the, the most stark change was before I went over to India, I was doing, um, I went with Suez Educational Development, which is an Irish NGO. You go over, um, you spend some time working in schools in quite disadvantaged areas. 
And I really like the program because it, it takes kind of an approach that you're not a white savior. You're not going over and you're going to be able to to make really a difference. But the hope is that mm-hmm. people come back and use that experience to then fuel their later career and try to influence some sort of positive change, which I think I kind of took to heart and then ended up getting <laughs> really involved in it and kind of went the full I, way. I think you're the case study for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So new features heavily on their AGM report every year, which is is great. Um, but so before I had gone to India, I'd heard about this um, market in Delhi where all of the pieces of clothing made by the kind of fast fashion and high street brands that don't make it over to Europe and the US because of very minor defects are sold at a really knockdown price. And it's kind of the likes of, you know, one or two pounds. Um, so really, really ridiculous prices. And you kind of think to yourself, obviously, when you learn a bit more about it, that the brands are potentially still making some sort of margin or profit on that. But um my kind of thought process was I'm going to go over here, get all these amazing clothes for when I go back to university. I'll have to have spent nothing, going to get a whole suitcase full of this. This is great. So excited. And then just before I went to India, the Rana Plaza building disaster happened in Dhaka in Bangladesh. So this was, um, I think it was seven stories that um, of a garment factory that collapsed and it killed over 1,130 people and affected countless others who were involved in the destruction. And so there was a real global spotlight on what fashion was behind the scenes and what happens behind this glamorous facade. And it really makes you question, can glamour ever come from something that is so destructive to, to people and the planet? And so I was then going to India with this framing the picture and while we were over there you meet so many people um, and you go to so many beautiful places that have been destroyed because of pollution polluted rivers um, and you see the kind of effect that consumption has on the people who both produce those pieces and have to deal with the fallout and the landfill of those pieces and all the kind of pollution that comes with it and so over that summer I really started to like I would say hate the fashion industry. I felt really ashamed that I hadn't looked any closer at this. Um, I, 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 To be honest, at the very beginning, I thought there's no way it can be this bad because if it was this bad, we would not live like this and we would talk about it all the time and you would learn about it in school and all of those things would come with it. But when you see it firsthand, you realise it's every bit as bad as you thought and so much worse as well. And it's kind of affecting people. You know, you can you can really see those effects um, in people's lives immediately and then you can understand the effect that it's going to have on the planet later and so when I got to Delhi finally at the end of that summer I passed the market that I had been so excited to go to and I've never felt so sick I just like I all I could see was just clothes clothes that you think these clothes don't have any value and so many of these won't ever even been worn but they've taken vital resources away from all of us for for nothing. And it just felt so pointless and, and wasteful. And um and I think as you said at the time, you know, just a couple of years ago, the correlation between fashion and being in any way polluting, you know, people did, I would say, have an awareness that it was exploitative in some way. Like there had been a lot of different things during the nineties and, you know, finding out about sweatshops, a lot of children that were involved in the industry. Um, but the pollution, I don't think, had really hit the mainstream media. Um, and I think the kind of climate crisis was, you know, it was being talked about, but not in, with the kind of urgency that we obviously have now. And so for me, it was really coming home 
with this very new perspective on fashion and what it meant and what the consequence of fashion was. And I initially just felt that I couldn't partake in it at all. And that to me was upsetting because I I do believe that fashion can be a force for good and it can kind of involve people in sustainability in a way that no other industry can. I mean, if you're thinking of how do we create social change and social movements, they come through the arts. They don't necessarily come through greener transport <laughs> because it's not yeah. that sexy. <laughs> That's it. And I, and I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that that's the, that's the bind that a lot of people who love fashion find themselves in is that they are creative people and they, they want to be able to express themselves and to, and to kind of, you know, say something with the clothes that they wear and kind of be creative. And that's a part of their whole life. And, and to feel that you can't partake in that industry in any way would make you almost feel like your wings have been clipped. Like you can't kind of, you know, a part of your creativity is gone. And I, I, I love that you were able to, I guess, eventually find a way of bringing that back into your life, but in a whole new way. Um, <laughs> I always find this funny because it's never a simple process, right? And I imagine yeah. that you didn't have <laughs> have a clear vision, or perhaps you did, of exactly what you would become. But what was it like those sort of early months and years as you tried to figure out, well, how is there a business here or, or what could you do about it? I mean, did you always come at it from a commercial angle or did you try other, other routes too? Yeah, I mean, the journey of setting up new is just full of winding roads with absolutely no idea what's at the end of it. Um, and I heard someone once describe it to me as um, if you're walking the Camino, you basically, um, there's a shell on the Camino route around Spain and, and Portugal and a bit of France. And you just walk and every so often you'll see this shell and you're like, oh yeah, okay, I'm, I'm on the right road here. <laughs> and then you just, <laughs> then you just keep walking. And at some point you're going to see that shell again, but you really don't necessarily know where, or you might need to turn back or you might need to kind of stay somewhere and it takes a little bit longer. And, and I thought that that was such a beautiful illustration of how it feels to build something that's quite new. Excuse the pun. And um, <laughs> for me, it was, I came back from India, I was back in university and it was two years of me being really interested in what sustainable sustainable fashion was and, and how sustainability was a part of the fashion industry. And I would say I was um, a terrible, terrible company to be around, you know, get two gins into me and I'm telling everyone about what all these <laughs> brands are doing and everyone's there in their beautiful Zara dresses that they got um, and they're really proud of and then nobody wants to tell me where they got them. And, you know, it was just this um, mm -hmm. this uh, the big learning for me was, you know, we can't guilt people into enacting mm -hmm. change. We need to empower people and educate people. And a lot more good would come from that. And then I, I really realized that at the end of the day, I could talk about this till the end of time, but I wasn't really giving my friends any tangible solutions. And I think that's where some locational privilege can come into sustainability as well. Um, there's a lot around accessibility, but if you're looking at how do you get involved in kind of pre-loved fashion, obviously tech and different platforms have come on along um, a lot more since, you know, eight years ago. But it was, depending on where you are, that was how you could access fashion. And fast fashion is really everywhere and e-commerce sites is everywhere. But sustainable pieces and pre-loved pieces, they are in abundance in quite a lot of major cities around the world. Um, 
particularly in the West. But once you go outside of that, it can be really difficult to create a super good experience around pre-loved fashion if you don't have access to these like amazing vintage shops and thrift shops or you haven't got to go to New York or London. And so when you're trying to convince people that pre-loved is the way to go, I found that the best way to do it was just look at how we operated as friends. And we were borrowing things every night out. You'd be coming with a backpack of dresses. You'd be throwing them on the bed. Someone's taking it this night. Someone's taking it the next night. And you go into your friend's wardrobes and you don't ask about price and you don't ask about brand. You just find things that you really like. And for me, that just showed that actually clothes, when you take away the monetary value, are really valuable for the people that wear them. And fast fashion really strips that value from the pieces. It makes them feel disposable. It doesn't let you get emotionally attached to them. It makes you feel like they are just something that kind of, you you know, you wear the clothes and the clothes don't really wear you at all. They don't really have their own expression or kind of energy or anything like that. And they're just kind of, they just get you from A to B. And when you treat fashion in a different way and you share it with friends, you create an experience around it. And that piece as a consequence has a way more vibrant social life, probably than you. <laughs> I mean, I've shared my pieces so many times and they go on way better nights out than I do. Um, they could tell some good stories. Yeah, yeah. Oh, if those pieces could talk, <laughs> you'd find out all the gossip. Um, and And for me, that was really the answer was in our friend groups and in our family groups we had created our own ecosystem that gave us everything that fast fashion gave us we could have a changing wardrobe we could try loads of different styles we could do this at a really affordable cost if not nothing and we were using what was already out there and that to me was a really freeing moment and that's really where new Mm -hmm. spawned from it was you know actually we can start with the wardrobes that we already have and it does not serve the fashion industry to to allow us to think that. But it was just an amazing feeling that I just felt I don't have to wait for brands to come up with these solutions. I don't have to wait for the design process to improve. If we're consuming fashion at the same rate, even if it's sustainably made, that's not necessarily going to solve the problem. We really need to look at our responsibility as the owners of these clothes and our responsibility to give these clothes the life that they deserve and have them fulfill their purpose. And, um, and really it all came from there. It's like, how do we do this authentically? And then how do we make this bigger? And that's kind of where the tech came into it and where I realized actually to make this work, I need to build something. And, you know, business was not, I mean, I gave up business in school when I was like 13 and I just said, nah, that's not for me. <laughs> and then I started to realize actually that's the vehicle that we're going to need to really create significant change and to kind of be able to go about it in a way that can scale. And that's how I really found out about the world of startups and technology and really impact investing as well. That was a big change for me. I didn't realize that that impact investment space existed and that there were people out there who cared as much about um the financials of a business as they did about the carbon impact of a business and so when that all kind of came together and I understood the landscape and I understood how big change happens that's really when new became a platform and a plan and something that I could I had a vision around really but that took I would say five years and it was you know me just doing loads of random things finishing uni going into media running swap shops on the side just kind of creating a community for it to really come together as actually this could be something and 
I think it's quite scary as an individual to think that you need to build something and you can often you know there's a lot of imposter syndrome I think that goes with that as well you're like why on earth would I be the person to build this yeah like it's just how do you even kind of come to that in your own mind and so that was really the start of the journey was I just kind of went in head first and I was so naive in starting it that I think that was really the only reason it was successful was because I was, the unknowns were so out of my understanding that it, it was less scary. Whereas now I know a lot more and I think, what was it doing? No. <laughs> so, <not>. yeah. <laughs> well, so it's kind of this journey that, that comes with it and you become an entrepreneur and then you realise that you're an entrepreneur and um, and it's really exciting. But it's been, yeah, it's been lots of winding roads. it's been quite an eight years um but yeah I think you know when you come at it from the right place I I think what I I speak to a lot of founders and I think you know you get different types of founders obviously and kind of different archetypes but I think there's something always amazing about a business that is kind of really grassroots in the way that I think that yours is so it's really sort of community-based first because you build such such a depth of foundation in really understanding people's needs and what they want and and understanding kind of the problems and the levers and and kind of testing things out in a really kind of scrappy way that I think when you then come to build, you know, in your case, the tech or whatever, um, it's no surprise that you fly. Um, yeah. You might not feel like you're flying sometimes, but <laughs> certainly from the outside, um, it appears that way. But I would love to ask you, actually, um, I'll come back to the point about kind of investing and impact investing in a second. But how do you go about changing behaviors and challenging an industry that has so much power and resources? And I wonder maybe if you even have seen that yet, because the community that you've built and kind of where you've started, I guess, are the people who are most susceptible to this new way of trading clothes and, you know, really engaged in sustainability. So quite sort of proactive consumers. And I wonder if you, if you've come across that actual, the message that you need to do that education piece and convince people that they need to change their behavior, because typically a business, you serve customer needs, right? So they need something and you give it to them. Um, But when you're actually having to change a mindset and a behavior, that's another step before you then say, well, we're the right people to to buy from or to do that with, right? Yeah. And I just wonder how that's been and if as you're scaling, you're sort of seeing that as more of a, a challenge perhaps. Yeah, we pivoted very quickly and a lot throughout the whole process. And one thing that I have learned throughout that is talking to the people who use new and love new is a far better indication than listening to anyone in the industry. So industry has its own agenda. It understands what its business needs. Fast fashion understands what its business needs. And I think at the beginning, one of the main things that happened for us was people won't do this if they don't make money from it. People won't do this at all, (laughs) which just came a lot. Um, And it will only work for luxury. So something that's been peddled consistently in the industry, especially fashion, is that recirculating any sorts of goods will only work for luxury items because their price point is so high and you can take a commission from that. And I felt that there was something else there. I didn't really buy luxury. Um, 
it just I just hadn't gotten to that stage in my life where I kind of had the purchasing power for it when new really came about and we started new we got loads of um pre-loved designer pieces put them up and this is where we really hit on the locational privilege as well um people didn't care about them because they didn't buy them themselves so they didn't have a massive interest we put up ASOS pieces Topshop pieces gone like the next day or 10 minutes later yeah like depending yeah. on when they drop and I always look at how new started on day one which was a swap shop in the basement of wigwam which is this uh, nightclub on abbey street in dublin and um we used to just run a swap shop people would bring their clothes they'd get tokens in exchange for their clothes they'd go and use those on the floor when new first started it was um specifically for borrowing so short-term lending of one-time wear items if you were going to a wedding or a ball you would upload pieces of clothing that would give you access to the shared wardrobe and you could return those pieces when you're done with with lending them so really just doing exactly what we would do with friends that still exists on the platform but kind of fast forward to the pandemic and um we were you know there's no events anymore we had learned so much about you know borrowing in itself you think this is only going to work for high value items and because people don't pay for the piece they just pay 99 cents to actually do the swap or the borrow um you're kind of taking away the need for it to be really expensive things that people are putting up and so people were kind of sharing just really normal high street brands and it was amazing to see and so when those events went it was how do we pivot during a pandemic And new became exactly what it was on day one when it started, which I wish I'd known (laughs) ages ago. (laughs) But you really can only kind of connect those dots as you look back. And we were able to pivot so fast because we had run all of these swap shops. We knew how to tier. We do silver items for high or silver tokens for high street, gold for mid market and above. We knew how to tier them. We knew how to ensure that pieces were good. We had an approval process. All of those things we could build in really quickly with technology because we just run so many events and just talked to so many people and understood exactly what people wanted which was very different from what industry statistics were saying and saying people will not bother doing this or people want to don't want to do this much effort or people don't want to change their behaviors I would say that people really want to change their behaviors they want to be empowered to be able to do that and they want to feel a part of the change one thing that consistently comes out of our research is that people are fed up of listening to brands say things and not deliver on them And also that fashion has got so fast, you could walk into any high street brand and you're not sure where you're shopping anymore because they all look the same. And that kind of individuality is something that people sadly miss out on. And I think it's something that especially younger people can really feel like there's this real need to be able to express yourself in a way that's a little bit different. And so all of these things came together and swapping got introduced to new and it just took off. It was exactly what people wanted. And this is where the change from our users knowing about sustainable fashion and being interested in sustainable fashion switched. We had so many people who still swap fast fashion, who still have packages arriving every day, coming onto the platform because it was fun and because they could actually part with their clothes and get a reward for it in the token, which represents a piece for them. People get so annoyed about having to discard their clothes more because of the value that they lose rather than the pollution that it causes and so it was so great to see so many different people on so many different or I guess you're kind of meeting people in in different places on their sustainability journey you have people who don't know about it at all 
and they're doing these swaps. And at the very end, they're finding out that they had a carbon and water offset. And they're like, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I've bonus. heard of that thing. <laughs> and then you have people who totally understand what's happening and they're diving straight in and, and they're starting to swap. And so for us, it was about designing a process that takes all of the good from fast fashion. And we make the difficult decisions of, and, and I guess, get through the challenges of designing that model in a way that does not pollute or exploit. And so that that really changed things for us. It was people wanted the same experience of fast fashion. They needed it to be inexpensive. They wanted to know that sustainability would be some part of it because people are aware of it, If even if they're not kind of actively doing that every day. I do fundamentally believe that people want to do the good option if they can. And new as a swapping platform and, and kind of what it became, it was the perfect time. I don't think it would have worked as a tech platform five or six years ago when we were running these as events I think it needed to go through all of these iterations and I think it needed to be of the time as well to be able to start and so yeah for us it's it's really about how do you create a platform that is so enjoyable that sustainability as a byproduct is is why people is the outcome really it's yeah and it's 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 secondary for why people would use it I mean it's it's yeah. primary for you yeah but it's not you know pe- people unfortunately all of us we always choose convenience and price like those two factors will always be I, I mean there's other things as well you know like you say like a fun experience or other things but those things are always so important to us that even when we say, you know, we're, we're fickle, we say we want to be more sustainable and then we run out of time and we need to order something on Amazon or whatever and we do it, right? We just, we are hypocrites. But that's why I love what you're saying about kind of building this platform where actually the experience and everything else comes first and then you can do the offsetting and then everything else is is kind of core to, to what you're building, but it's not necessarily like the marketing message. Um, yeah, and I think you need to, understand how do you get from point a to point b if people buy or you know if we're producing a hundred billion pieces of clothing a year and we need to not produce any clothes Mm. and we need people to be okay with that how do you jump that because as a founder I would have totally radical views about how the future of the world should be you know we're not consuming anything we're not we're not making anything everything is circulated all of these things yeah (laughs) and and I think it's if people are in fast fashion, they're not going to immediately be able to build a capsule wardrobe of expensive pieces that are, you know, you can style 500 ways with just 30 pieces. And we have to have these interim solutions because we need them now. And we have to be designing things that are not just a little bit better, but are right to actually move this forward. And and so that for us is been such a challenge because there's so many easier routes that we feel we could have taken just to do a good business or you know just to get things off the ground quickly but it just didn't feel that it was the right solution and it didn't feel like it was really going to solve the problem at the end of the day so those are the kind of things that I think when you push through them and they finally work it's the most satisfaction because you can really see that kind of vision playing out as well Mm -hmm. and I guess this comes back to your point about kind of um getting involved in the world of impact investing and kind of understanding what that looks like because you need investors who understand that process and on uh, encouraging you or, you know, 
uh, other powers that be to to do something for commercial gain or more sort of short-term commercial gain rather than look at the long term. Um, yeah. So I wonder if you could maybe tell us a bit about your your fundraising journey and kind of where you started. I mean, I know that you did a crowdfund and I'd love to hear yeah. about that. But I mean, I imagine there was a, a period before that um, where you got some other financial support or perhaps I'm wrong. Yeah, so the very first um, grant I got was an Irish program called New Frontiers. It's um, a 15k grant where you're essentially able to leave your job and and start working on the business full time as a concept, very, very early stage. And it was here that I really didn't know a huge amount about investment and how you get it. And so I felt like I was walking into a lot of rooms where people didn't understand the idea. It can be very difficult to raise as a female founder, especially when you're in spaces that are dominated by kind of older white men. And the environmental impact of the business, I did two pitches. And in both, I was one, I was asked to take out the environmental slide that nobody needs to know about that. And the other, I was just simply asked, why, why would anyone care about that? It makes it look like a charity. And, and so for me, it kind of took on a whole other kind of road of of what I went down because I just felt whatever about you as a person not caring about the environmental impact of businesses that's not thinking future proof of of a business and also who are you to kind of tell someone that they too shouldn't care or that no one else will care about the environmental impact and so I, I kind of just went down this route of trying to figure out who is it that does care about the environmental impact of businesses like surely there's someone who does and that's how I, I started to learn about tech for good and impact investing and I came across Bethel Green Ventures which is a UK fund um, they do early stage investments and in startups and I started on their accelerator program moved over to London and was just surrounded by people who wanted to understand how to build amazing businesses and track every part of the impact of that business as well you're always questioned on your grand vision. You're always questioned on unintended consequences of what you're doing. You know, if we're peddling a new behavior, are there unintended consequences of that behavior? And how do we mitigate against those? And how do we kind of ensure that we stay, you know, close to our through north? And as a business, how do we have the freedom to kind of make decisions based on what we believe is right? And I think what was really important for us was when you're building a business that's focused on sustainability, you have to make tough decisions that another business wouldn't do. Do you go with, you know, flying packaging 2000 miles because it's cheaper than it is to buy it locally? Like, no, you have to spend more buying that stuff locally. And that's a business decision that we have the freedom to make because our investors care as much about our impact as they do about the health of the business. And so, you know, if yeah, it's so important to understand who it is that you're taking money from as well, because if you can't make those decisions, that's going to pu- push you down a very dangerous route as well. Um, so the impact investment space is essentially um, your business is for impact. So businesses need to make a return, make a profit. That allows you the freedom to scale and grow without needing, you know, being at the mercy of philanthropy and grant funding. And I thought about that at the beginning. And what I really started to understand was, you don't have that much freedom if you're constantly chasing grants and you don't have the ability to 
always find the best talent, um, especially when you're competing in the tech industry. You know that Google can hire people. You know that Facebook can hire people. That is a real problem. And you need the great minds working on sustainable solutions or you're not yeah. going to get the results. And I, and I don't mean to interrupt, but I also feel like uh, we're at a point now where where green ventures, sector economy ventures, um, you know, they need to be commercial venture. You know, we need to yeah. prove that it can run as a commercial model and they need to be sustainable and they need to be able to thrive in a capitalist environment. Like that, I feel like that's the responsibility of all of us, uh, you know, as as participants in this sort of space. That's that's what we have to do. That's sort of our responsibility. So, yeah, I, 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 I see that. Sorry for interrupting your flow. No, absolutely not. And that was something that I kind of considered a lot at the very beginning was if we if we not only want to compete with fast fashion, but we want to bring about change in the industry because it's our hope that we can pioneer a new model of consumption that other people can follow. We don't just want it to be us who does this forever because that's not going to change the world fast enough as it needs to to really mitigate against climate change. But if we want to really transform the industry it has to be attractive for people to change and it's very difficult to do that at the start but if you don't do that you're not able to grow the way you need to grow you're not able to get the right people on board you don't have that freedom to kind of make those decisions and ultimately you're not pioneering something that is better in every way that then already exists and so it's really challenging but I think, you know, people working in sustainability as well, I would say we are fundamentally good people who care more about the impact that we have than balance sheets. And it's just always led by so much passion. Fundamentally, the goal is we need to reduce the amount of waste and the environmental impact, blah, blah, blah. And I think all investors want to know is, is, especially impact investors, they care as much about that. But they need to know that as a founder, you understand what it takes to achieve those results. And those are the harsh realities of running a business and keeping people employed and ensuring that you can build the tech that you need and that you can grow in the way that you need. And so just being able to balance that um, is just a new way of doing things. And I mean, I, I am quite frustrated that sustainable businesses are peddled to something different I mean it's really changing now it's completely changing now but a couple of years ago it was you know a social enterprise is this or you know it's it's kind of a charity it's kind of something like if you're doing business for good maybe it's not as good a business but um I think we should be looking at other businesses and saying you know this is how a business should be the other businesses that are bad businesses, they're exploitative businesses, <laughs> they're destructive businesses. Yeah, I yeah. think that change is coming. I don't, I don't think it's it's too far away. And, you know, maybe I'm just naive, but I don't think that I am. I, I really do think that change is coming. And I yeah. think that it's, it's, it, I, I think it's a lot to do with kind of understanding the levers of what the co- the cause and effect of sustainability. And I think that a lot of us as kind of consumers and just kind of ordinary people are fed up of of getting the message that it's yeah. our you know it's our problem and that as individuals we have to find our own ways of fixing it in our small lives um whilst also keeping up at the high pace that we all work at and live at and everything else and i think that we are 
so frustrated with that that we're really trying now to understand what the true cause and effect is and and that is we're finding those ways in and you know it's it's big businesses it's you know it's fossil fuel industry it's government it's a whole load of of different levers and it's it's I agree with you. Um, I see that that things are changing and that consumers and especially shareholders as well and investors, ordinary shareholders, pension holders, you know, it's it's happening across the financial industry as well. And people are getting more, yep. just more transparency, which I think leads leads to change. Absolutely. It's more about people rather than companies. I've always found that kind of interesting. I think previously it was easy to hide behind a brand name. You're just a person in the business you can't affect that much change I think within all businesses it's people and their kind of social responsibility and how they feel about what they're doing it seems so different than even just a few years ago and it's so encouraging like I just I think I'm always optimistic that it's just a tipping point it's like it feels like it can't go feels like it can't go and it chips and everything changes and I think we've even seen that with things like COVID you know it's it's all or nothing in the space of a week and everything changes because it needs to and I would be very hopeful that um just really solving <laughs> the climate crisis is is um having a similar kind of trajectory like we yeah. really will change at some point exactly we were told for a long time how difficult it was for things to change um and then suddenly big changes can happen in a really short space of time and can be quite incredible so yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Ashling, for everything you've shared and and told us. And it's just been amazing listening to you and your kind of positivity and and your outlook. But I I just wonder, is there any advice that you would give to someone perhaps who's listening to this podcast, thinking about, um, you know, they they're maybe where you were back in in India or where you came back, or they're frustrated with things that they're seeing and and they want to make a change. Is there is there anything in particular that you might say to them? Yeah, you can have a really big vision, but don't be afraid of that. Really, the best way to start is small steps that are all for free. So an example of how New started was I created a free Squarespace landing page. I went around lectures at the university that I had gone to and asked people to email me photos of their dresses that they had worn the year before that they weren't going to wear. I just put them up people could request to borrow them and I started WhatsApp groups where people could go and meet each other to collect dresses. And that was all that was needed to test an an idea that eventually became new. And I thought about how to build an app that would be globally scalable for about a year. And actually all it took was two weeks to just try this really small um, test and and all it is, is is testing. And the minute you start testing, you're going to chat to someone who likes the idea. You'll find loads of people who like the idea. You'll get loads of feedback on things that are good, things that don't work. And you can just very quickly start to grow that idea and find the base and find what it is that you want to create. You don't need to know how you're going to get there. You just need to start. And I think that's, um, there's a really good book called The Lean Startup. And there's a podcast called Masters of Scale. I find those two really helpful. They're all about how do you do these things in the very early days um, without really no knowledge of, of how these are going to scale in the future. Just hacky things that in some way test what it is that you'd like to work on or in some way validate the idea that you have. And once you've done that, you basically have the confidence to say, I've gone out there into the real world. 
And I've asked 10 people if they would like something like this. And they actually said yes. So I built a little landing page that said, this is actually what it is. And then five out of the 10 people used it. <laughs> You're like, 50%, that's great. And just kind of breaking it down into really small steps like that builds the concept. And once you have proof of concept, you're really ready to go. And it's kind of as simple as that. You understand your vision a lot more. And um, and that's kind of just how all great things start. Really, really small. Mm, I love that. I, I, I love that so much because I do think that is something that can happen to all of us is that we have a big ambition or a big vision and we become almost totally overwhelmed by it and we don't know how to break it down. But it's like you're saying, you know, by focusing on the sort of hyper-local the global eventually kind of takes care of itself, right? But it's just yeah. always by focusing on the local. And I think sometimes where you have issues with in a startup or in a new business is when you're trying to skip some of those foundations and trying to get here before you've you've really taken care of what's local and right in front of you. And then actually that's that just becomes doing that lots of times and finding a absolutely, way to do yeah, that absolutely. efficiently. Um, and yeah, it can be much more simple than we think. Well, thank you so much. I I think that's the perfect end, but I do always ask guests if there's anything else they would like to share that they haven't yet. Um, But I feel like you you shared a lot then, but I will give you the opportunity, Ashley. Is there anything else you'd like to pass on to the listeners? Really, it's just start where you are with your wardrobe. We would love for you to join new. You can find it on the app store, NUW, and at We Are New on socials. And especially when it comes to sustainable fashion, shopping your own wardrobe is the perfect place to start. Shopping your friend's wardrobe, the second best place to start. Um, And you don't need to look at sustainability as something that you need to buy into or you need to be a certain type of person to start being more sustainable. It's just really all about using what you have and that's the place that everyone can start, I feel. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks so much.